Hey everyone, it's Matt Harmon from the Yahoo Fantasy Football Show. Are you sad there's no fantasy football going on right now? Yeah, me too. I've got good news for you though. It is fantasy baseball season right now. Join a public league, join an instant draft, or create a league with your buddies before opening day. It's Yahoo Fantasy Baseball time. Sign up for the 2024 fantasy baseball season at yahoo.com slash fantasy baseball or on the Yahoo Fantasy app. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world where the co-hosts never work together on Mondays. No, just kidding. But it is the second Monday in a row where we are tapping in a guest host, and I am so happy to be joined, not by Jake Mintz, but by one Matthew Ritchie. Mr. Ritchie, thank you so much for joining us in place of Jake Mintz on this fine Monday morning. Thank you for having me. It's very exciting to get the uh, to get the call up. Um, wasn't expecting it, you know. They, they, you called me to the the GM's office, and you were like, "It's, you know what? Can you sit down, Matt? We got, we got to talk to you." And and here we are. Here we are. I, I, I bungled this because I think if we've learned anything, we needed the the hidden camera situation. Could have gotten like five thousand retweets at least if we had gotten the moment where you found out you were getting called up to the to the Barbacast. So I guess we screwed that up. I'll have to do that for our next uh, guest co-host. That would have been really good content of me just scrolling on my phone and then and then getting a text, reading a text, responding, and then going back to Twitter. That would have been the, if that would have got five thousand retweets, we would have I would have lost faith in the internet again right. for the for the, like the third time that day. No, it would have been it would have been electric. People would have been quote tweeting and been like, you know, this'll make your day with a bunch of like really emotional <laughs> you, uh, you sir you won the internet today <laughs> you you yes exactly uh matthew Ritchie, it is so good to to talk to you one of one of uh, jake and i's good friends now you fit a, a lot of the criteria to to host a podcast with one of us but particularly for me you know i i, I always am working with an orioles fan when i work with jake so i'm excited to have you on to represent orioles fandom today that's that's going to be part of the show which is a good time because my god Demos are hot, so we're going to talk about the Orioles. Don't you worry. But before we get to to the rest of the show, let's let's let you introduce yourself. Uh, I mean, you'll hear a little bit more later about how we first got to know uh, Matthew. But tell us about what you're what you're up to. Now, give us a general uh, job description, roughly, to establish those credentials, Mister Ritchie, so that people know that they can trust you over these next forty five minutes. Yeah. So I'm not just your your usual gas bag. I am. An- employed gas bag with a microphone so you know so now so so now you have you have to listen to me but uh but no so i currently work for mlb.com as a well i'm one of two diversity content fellows uh it's a new it's a brand new program for them uh but it's a way to get minority voices into major league baseball into baseball coverage so what i do is 
I do a lot of editing and do a lot of producing. Uh, I'm also going to be doing some uh, reporting at the ballparks um, over over the next couple of months. I was doing a lot of covering in, uh, during spring training, but I've been doing a lot of editing and producing now. But basically, I have just been watching nothing but baseball for the past Oh, three months, three months. Oh, hey, uh, welcome. It's, welcome. Yeah, it's listen and working nights. Have you worked Ooh. nights before? It's, well, again, this is, you know, you asked my fiance, I'm basically working 24 seven, right? So it's kind of distinguishing <laughs> between when I am working, when I'm watching baseball, and when I am not is a constant struggle and blessing, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, working nights officially. No, I know that is I know that is a big part of the MLB editorial grind. I am familiar with that. It, it, I know you know it's uh it's it's terrible <laughs> it's, that that first that first couple of weeks where you're like oh I'm working five thirty to one thirty and then six to two and then you're working an eight p.m. game so you're working seven to three what's going on like what's it's it's, like, it's I tough get it well and here's the thing here's the thing about that uh God bless the pitch clock I mean God it, oh. <laughs> you can't even you don't even know bro i mean you think the people imagine being in a game where there's no clock uh, enforcing that you know the pitching the pitchers have to keep throwing the baseball i mean you would be there i know those nights would get even later for those people i i i couldn't even imagine because there are some games where i'm sitting there and i'm like oh this game is taking forever it's three three hours and ten minutes <laughs> It's it the it it is a it is a brisk three hours and ten minutes and it feels like the longest eight hours of my life, but oh, God bless the, that the pitch timer is the pitch timer is we're pro pitch timer in this yes. household. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. So we'll we'll, we'll get to all that. But the, the other thing we, which we're going to talk about a little bit later, can you tell us? It feels disrespectful to call it a side hustle because you've been published in some pretty cool places. But I know you also write about music a little bit. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, so uh, I've been I've, I've I'm a freelance music journalist, uh, the freest of freelancing. Uh, but yeah, so I, I mean I review albums for Pitchfork uh, sometimes, or albums, songs, whatever you may have it. Uh, and I do I do interviews with some with some interesting, very cool artists from time to time. Um, sometimes for like a site called Rolling Stone. Heard of it. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, just some words, some words here and there. I, I, you know, I don't like to talk about it. It's uh, it's, that's well, I'm gonna make you talk about it, and mostly because I am the opposite of a music reviewer. So at the end of the show, <laughs> we're gonna get into a little bit of that, uh, just to just to kind of divert away from the again 24 seven baseball experience that both of us are now living. Now, Matthew, I asked you to come prepared to this podcast with one baseball topic. That is not Orioles related. Don't worry, we're going to talk about the Orioles. Uh, that is non Orioles related. Uh, that has surprised you the most, or, or has interested you the most this season. As you just mentioned, you have been watching maybe more baseball than ever on a consistent basis for your job, and so you're you're clearly plugged in and, and more than qualified to answer this. So, surprise me. What is what is one baseball storyline, whether it's an individual or a team or something, from the first uh, seven or eight weeks of the season? that has your attention? I can't say that I'm surprised about the storyline that I've picked uh, because I've been a believer for a little while. Uh, Christopher Morell 
love this pick. Love this pick. Uh, this is not something we've talked about at all in the pod. So continue. You haven't you have, you have, you have touched on Mr. Morel yet? Maybe briefly. Again, he's only been up for two weeks, I think. Two uh, weeks. Two weeks, and he's got eight home runs, which is why we're talking about him. But but please, t- enlighten us on Christopher Morel, because I love that we're starting with this. Christopher Morel. So I was. I can take you back to where I was last year. I was... It was, I was in Chicago uh, going to grad school. It was uh, the Northwestern night at at, uh, at Wrigley Field. Uh, it was rainy. It was kind of misty. The Cubs were already up like 6-1 on the Pirates and Christopher Morel's like pinch hit. No, like I'm like, oh, it's whatever, pinch hit, major league debut. Uh, and he hits maybe the loudest home run I have ever seen live. And like I've seen, I've seen Shohei live. I like I saw Barry Bonds in like really late in his career. Christopher Morel took a like a three-two fastball and just deposited it into the bleachers. It was crushed. And I was like, who I was like, who is this guy? Like Who's he man? got a sta- he, he got a standing ovation. It was like, it was like 40 degrees. Nobody everybody was having fun, but it was it was freezing, it was cold, it was rainy. And he lit the entire Wrigley Field on fire, and I was like, "This guy is an electric factory." And he had the he and he had a really hot start, like when he came up, like in um over that summer, and then he cooled down a little bit, and so. But now he's back. Oh, he's back. He's, he's very he's, back. First of all, should, so should clarify that was, I believe, his first career home run, um, yes. in in May. So, and right, but what is your point? Right, I mean, it's late. It's, it's a game against the Pirates. And Christopher Morel is a perfect example of a player who, he like, he was a prospect. He wasn't, like, a nobody. But right. what you would read about him didn't necessarily reflect in the numbers. So you would if you just pulled up the stats, this is a, the perfect example of a stat line. Before this year, uh, we know what he did to, to start the season. But before this season, before he came up last year, Christopher Morel was always kind of bouncing around, like, in, like, the 10 to 20 range of prospect lists. And you knew, okay, he was... He was versatile. He could play a bunch of positions and he's like a really good athlete and he's got some pop, but like the numbers never jumped off the page. So if you hadn't seen him play, you didn't really have a reason to be like, oh shit, like Christopher Morrell. We got to lock in on Christopher Morrell. I'm excited about Christopher Morrell. When he finally made it up, so much of the talk around him was like, this dude is the nicest, most positive human being. He's giving everyone hugs. He's like the, the you know, 80 grade clubhouse guy, best teammate, blah, 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 blah. He is, he is just the loveliest dude. I was, so I was covering, like I said, I was covering spring training and the one time I was at Cubs camp, my story was on Christopher Morel and he had the scrum like after, after a day of BP, blah, blah, blah workouts. And he's just, he's just so confident. He's very, he's very friendly. He was like, he was working to like interact with everybody, like just 10, 10 out of 10, Big fan, big, totally. big fan. Totally. And again, and this is, you'll, <laughs> it's great. You'll, you will certainly experience this more as you venture into uh, your media career, I'm sure, where it's like you have one positive interaction with a player, even if they're good or bad, and you're like, that's my guy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am now, I am now totally, totally loyal and subservient to your success at any point, exactly. at any time. And, you know, most of the time, they just go about their normal career. And then sometimes they hit eight homers in their first 11 games after hitting 11 homers in 29 games in AAA, which is what Christopher Morel did. Now, I, my understanding is that 
A lot of people wanted Morel on the team to start the year. He's someone who last year, he had his struggles. He struck out a lot, <laughs> uh, but he did provide power. I mean, he did have an above average OPS last year. It's not like he was right. a bad player. He was just kind of inconsistent and like when it was bad, it looked pretty bad, right? But at the same time with his defensive versatility, people wanted him on the team. He doesn't go to the team. He goes to AAA. Him and, you know, Mash Mervis are, are tearing it up, but he was tearing it up to a completely different degree. And so once he finally gets called up, Sometimes there's like the let's on. I was like, okay, great. He's on the team. Now we just want him to play a role. Instead, his OPS has gone up. He was slugging 730 in AAA. He's slugging 957 in his first 11 big league games this year. And to your point, couldn't happen to a better guy. And I mean that genuinely. Sometimes we say it sarcastically, but this is so cool. He's amazing. It's very cool. And it's not just, it's, it's like the weird streaks. He has like the longest like extra base hit streak in in the league right now it's like it's like four is is the second closest and he's at seven he he has the longest home run streak it's 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 not it's just so ridiculous to watch because most of them aren't cheap like those first those (laughs) i think it took him um until he got to like philly um which was maybe the sixth or seventh home run in (laughs) in the stretch for him to hit one lower than or fewer than 400 feet. Yep. Yeah. They like they they're all bombs. <laughs> and, and that's the other thing about him and why players like him are so fun to watch because sometimes you have I mean M- Matt Mervis is one example but like they're huge, right? Like it's someone who is enormous and you're like, "Okay, well duh, he's hitting it really far." Right? That's it's, it's mm-hmm. part of the game. You look at him and you're like, "Okay, like he's well built. He's a hell of an athlete." But you're not like this dude's about to, you know, hit him 400. He, he's ease. not like Miguel Sano. No, or he's he's not he's not like he's not like a giant who. No. He, he's just like an athletic player who. And to your point, like when you mentioned that home run that you saw, like this is what people would say when they would watch him take BP. And even though it wasn't necessarily translating to home runs in the minors, you would be like, oh, this is cliche, but it sure sounds different. You know, it does. that's what you would be saying about Christopher Morel, and you feels like you had that exact experience as you mentioned 11 games eight home runs i like that he hasn't homered more than once in any game so he's got yeah, eight no, different he, games with the home run he has also struck out in every game which is fine like who cares super, when you're hitting this yeah. many homers it's super interesting because like the k percentage is like a little bit up from from like his like small sample size of mm-hmm. course small sample size blah 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 but his K percentage is up from last year, but it doesn't matter really because his exit velo is up, his his barrel percentage is up, his hard hit percentage is up. So you're like, it it's it's very new baseball, but you'll take you'll okay. take strikeouts if he's if he's gonna hit if he's gonna average a home run every like five at bats. Right. So so no, I I totally agree, and I would say two more things on Morel, and then we'll move on to the Orioles who are. Um, much more relevant, but but this is the other thing about this morale stretch. Um, the Cubs are kind of a mess right now. The Cubs are kind of a kind of in a, in an ugly stretch. Uh, really not not good. They've lost many many games of their. I think they've lost like eight of their last nine. They've been one of the worst teams over the last month. So the morale stretch has almost distracted from what has been an ugly stretch for the Cubs. But again, he's doing his. He's doing his, you know, job. It's not it's not his fault. It's been more, I would say, on the pitching side. But I'm glad, you know, sometimes teams like I guess the point would be, imagine if the Cubs were playing well. 
this is why no one is talking about because they're all because the Cubs are a mess right now. But if right. they can pick it up and they can kind of get back in the mix, I think people will will, will pay more attention. <laughs> the last thing on him is that one of the biggest flaws uh, in in Major League Baseball in terms of how we track players and and how we um, particularly from the time they sign or when they get drafted is is never changing their height and weight. And I'm checking <laughs> on his MLB.com page, but. I just oh no that's still true. So uh, a very common problem with players uh, when they sign internationally is that their height and weight uh, go into the system, and then no one ever goes in and changes them, even though they all get bigger and stronger. Particularly Charlie. for guys who sign when they're sixteen. Like Felix Batista, Batista was six five two ten. Thank you, perfect <laughs> example. And I believe that one has been corrected. I Thank think God. since hopefully I, I should check that. But here's what Christopher Morell is not. Six oh five eleven one forty five. That's not sure. what Christopher Morell is. <laughs> that is that is closer to what I am, and I am I can't hit eight, eight homers in eleven games. Uh, yeah. I do believe they finally fixed Felix Bautista. But yeah, he Christopher Morell still listed on baseball reference and everywhere as five eleven one forty five, which Again, he's, Mike, he's we just, let's. I'm sure Morell would accommodate, you know, jumping on a scale and being like <laughs> here and what you know. I, I so anyway, I just think that's funny. It's it's, it's it's such an easy fix. It's yeah, it's, it's, yeah. You could you could you could as problematic as it may be. You can just look at him and be like, that man is not 145 pounds. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, like like I'm exactly. like I'm so sorry. Like like exactly. We can no. we can stereotype for for 1.2 seconds to be like that is. That is not a hundred forty-five pound. No, and I don't think Morel would be like offended if you if he woke up and saw on his player card that he was suddenly one ninety-five. I don't think anyone would get mad about that. I don't think <laughs> he'd be incensed. Yeah, I don't think he'd be like, "Whoa, whoa, I'm I'm only one ninety-two, man." Like, yeah, I don't think so. As you said, he seems like someone that would take anything in stride. Uh, that is a great pick. I'm glad we 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 uh, we did highlight Mr. Morell a little bit there. But the real the real story. And listen, we would be doing this even if the Orioles lost seven in a row or lost. You know, they've been playing 500 ball. But you are an Orioles I fan. I wouldn't want to do that. I wouldn't want to do this if they lost. You would. That's true. That's true. He wouldn't have agreed. He wouldn't have agreed to join. Uh, but instead, the Baltimore Orioles are 31 and 16. They have the second best record in baseball. They just swept the Blue Jays of Toronto. And as I have seen, you know, our friend Connor Newcomb say. At many of the Orioles uh, Twitter accounts, I mean, the vibes are through the roof, immaculate, whatever d- positive descriptor you want to use. This team looks fantastic. Uh, I assume you've watched a good chunk of this team this season. So broad Orioles reactions, and then we have to talk about Cedric Mullins because we can't escape him. The broad Orioles reactions. The Orioles, there was a lot of talk early before the season about regression mm-hmm. and like i said it's very like we can small sample size almost every convo to death like yes it is still may um but every progression had the every um every projection had the orioles last in the division some of them had them finishing 79 and 83 like fit and and they're still making up that gap even like if you go on fan graphs they still have like a like a 43% chance of making the playoffs. Um, meanwhile, I think every other every other ALE team has a higher percentage chance of making the playoffs than the Orioles, simply because there's just this weird, there's just this assumption that the Orioles will regress at some point. And we're seeing that when players 
get better and have more ch- and have more chances to be healthy and figure things out they improve and everything starts to improve and so you can go up and down that lineup um i think i think the top four guys i think cedric adley Mountcastle and Santander have OPSs of 800 plus. Uh, Austin Hayes, who leads the team in average, by the way. Um, Austin Hayes is bad in 300 plus. Uh, the infield, it's all young guys, and they just sort of, and they just sort of plop them in. Brandon Hyde is like, all right, uh, Joey Ortiz is going to play shortstop today. Jorge, you take you take a seat. Gunner, you play third or or whatever. They put Jorge back at short and. They just plug in and plug and play him in. And it just, it just works. And I'd be remiss if I, if I didn't talk about the pitching because the Orioles historically have been, it's been, it's, it's like a tale of two, of two like groups because I've always thought that the Orioles have, have a, like a decent bullpen. Um, no matter what, like since like 2011, the bullpen has been, has been pretty decent. There's been the epic highs of like 2012, 2014, um, 2016. Um, but the starters haven't been like our like the Orioles' best starter uh for maybe the past decade was Chris Tillman. I think I think Chris Tillman has has the last Cy Young finalist Oops. finish yeah, yeah like, mm-hmm. I, I think i think he finished third um i could be wrong though but well I he was like that. i think he was the last all-star orioles pitcher um because i don't think he i don't think he ever ended up on a ballot but he definitely was an all-star in 2013 but to that's that point like the orioles pitching because <laughs> it was like great like we got some boppers but like are we actually going to be able to outscore our own starting pitching staff and so far this year, this is why it's also funny because, and I'm sure you're getting to this, but it's like they still starting pitching still isn't that good. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's 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 not that great, but yeah. they surprise you of how just like decent they are, and that and that's really all you need if you have an if an, if you have an offense scoring five plus runs and a bullpen and a back of the bullpen who is pretty much lights out for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, if your starter can get you six six innings of two to three run ball you're the orioles are likely going to win a game simply because oh they also have the most comeback wins in baseball which yeah. is which is nuts it's yeah. it's 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 unreal it's it's very strange to watch and i feel like like you said i mean basically everyone had them projected for 77 at the most you know 78 right. wins and you understand, I mean, it, it is a it is a brutal division, but when you watch a series like we just did, and you come back against this Toronto team, now Toronto has, <laughs> they are very talented too, but they they certainly have their flaws they're, in their roster. They're go, they're going through it. Yeah, they're, they're, they're going. They're kind of they're kind of going through it. I don't yeah. I don't understand. I don't I don't know what I was watching, but that that was not that is not a Toronto team that I've seen in the past, like. Past like year and a half. Yeah, it's weird. It's a lot of the same names. They've certainly had some pitching struggles too. Uh, but no, I agree. Right, you know, getting swept at home, not a good feeling. After also coming off that Yankee series, like they are not in a great place right now. But still, a talented bunch. Still a right. group that it's you're still 
more impressed by them beating the Blue Jays than 80% of other teams. And that's just the nature of the AL East, right? And that's why, mm-hmm. uh, before we zone in on Mullins here, which we have to, like, uh, clearly you you believe in this group as a team that should be chasing for the postseason, returning to the postseason. Do you think they can, like, where do you think they stack up in this division? Because I agree, I don't think they're going to finish last at this point. But, like, where's your confidence level for the remainder of the season in terms of what they what they can reasonably aspire to? I think just simply, and I, and I hate to, like, focus in on, like, a moment or a series to, like, encapsulate how I feel about an entire season. But that Blue Jays series was nuts because they came back or they held them off. And that's a very tough thing to do in an ALE, in the ALE series for, for three straight games. Um, like that's their first sweep against the AL East team in, in a couple of years. It's their first sweep against the Blue Jays since 2018. Um, wow. And it's their first sweep in Toronto since 2005. <laughs> and oh and, if that's, and if that's not a symptom of things changing, then I don't know what it is. But I think, I think there's clearly the AL East will have three playoff teams in my, in my opinion, at least three. Um, could be four. four would be could four, be four. It could it could, it could it could be four. Um, the AL will have at least three playoff teams, and I would be confident by saying that if the Orioles don't aren't one of those teams, they'll be half a game out and miss it in a heartbreaker. But it won't it won't be it won't. I don't think it'll be one of those seasons where where they sort of like fall off and then fall off the like the face of the earth and then finish finish like 10 games back of a playoff spot but i think i believe i believe this team is certainly capable of being in the mix for the rest of the year and should should be one of the teams leading a wild card chase um hit when they hit august so i just before we talk mullins i just have to take you back to april 24th, 2005, the last time the Orioles swept the Blue Jays in Toronto, okay? Now, you were like eight, seven? How old were you? I was seven. You you were seven, okay. I don't know what your Orioles fandom was at this point. 2005 2005 is a good Orioles year, though. It was. I mean, they they only won like 74 games, but listen to this lineup. It's a gross lineup. Listen it's- to this. Lineup. Okay, so first of all, they win this game because Sidney Ponson goes CG. All right, of course he did. Beating MV- beating World Baseball two thousand five legend Sidney Ponson. Exactly. You know how many franchise modes I started with Sidney Ponson on the bump, where he's it's, he's he's a cheat code for no reason at all. But go ahead, continue. Please, he, he, please. He take beat Roy Halladay that win. day. Okay, of course he did. <laughs> he, he beat Roy Halladay to, to close out the sweep. By the way, Pete Walker, who's now the grumpy Blue Jays pitching coach, came in relief of Roy Halladay in this game. So that's kind of crazy. Huh. Anyway, here's the Orioles lineup. They won 7-1. to They got 14 hits. Here's the lineup. Roberts, mm, salute. Melvin Mora, Miguel Tejada, Sammy Sosa with three hits and two homers. Yes. Oh, oh yes. yes. <laughs> uh, Palmero, this is a lot of steroids. This is good. Jay Gibbons. <laughs> oh my gosh. Jay Gibbons had the most ridiculous ad for the entirety of my childhood. Jay Gibbons hadn't had an ad where they said he was hitting the warehouse 
um, during BP or like he could hit the warehouse during BP. So for my entire childhood, I thought Jay Gibbons and Ken Griffey Jr. were the only two players to ever hit the warehouse. And I would tell people that and they'd be like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> like, no, dude, it's I trust I, me. I, I saw I, it. I, I saw the clip. <laughs> um, Then we got. Luis Matos in center. By the way, Jay Gibbons 0 for 5 in this game. He was the only hitless starter. Um, <laughs> not hitting them to the warehouse or to the CN Tower. Uh, Larry Bigby in left and uh, Geronimo Gill uh, catching. So big oh day God. for Sosa. Big day for, for Melvin Mora at the plate. And yeah, man, that was the last time the, the O's swept Toronto at Rogers Center. Then the Sky Dome, we should say. We should say that was that was a fun that was a fun Orioles Orioles time. Oh, yeah. do you do you remember you did your live podcast? Yes, in, at uh, at Oriole Park. You know pickles, of course. We we were so, right outside pickles. Yes. Yeah. So when Sammy when Sammy Sosa came, they put a sign on pickles that said Sammy hit it here because you know it's uh, allegedly allegedly he could he could hit it he could hit it out of the stadium. And yeah technically hit pickles pub because of the orientation i love that right exactly because you know sometimes you see situations like that where it's not you know our 800 foot home runs aren't necessarily realistic but you want it at least facing in the right direction and in that case right. yes <laughs> sammy sosa could conceivably with it there you know an orange stealth bat and some golf balls <laughs> you know yank one 800 feet down the line and off of the face of, of pickles so plausibly, and that's what I appreciate about about Pickles Pub. They were totally. they were in the right place. It's totally. Wow, that's a great call. All right, last Orioles topic before we take a break. Cedric Mullins. Cedric uh, Mullins, who I believe was it a five hit day yesterday? It was five. Five hits. That's a lot of hits. That's so many hits. <laughs> so many hits. <laughs> in one game? In one game. In one game. Okay. He just kept getting hits. He just every time yeah, he came no, up, he got hit. He he so, even gave them a break by not getting hit the first at bat. And then got five the rest of the game. <laughs> he had a five and bat hitting streak. Very impressive uh, for, for, for Cedric <laughs> Mullins. Um, Cedric Mullins is obviously one of the best players on the Orioles. It's been so good to see him back in this form looking more like he did in 2021. Because last year was, I would say, undeniably a letdown. He wasn't bad. But mm. for the season he had in 21, it was like, holy shit, Like this dude is going to be one of the best players in baseball. Like I was sold. I was convinced. And then last year he, he was healthy. He played every game, almost every game. And he just wasn't as good. You know, 878 OPS in 21, 721 last year. Still stole 34 bases, 16 homers. Like he was a good player for sure. Sure. But we, he had set the standard in 21 where we were very, very excited. And now he's really starting to look like that again. Now he's a very easy favorite player for so many reasons. I mean, he, he checks, he's, he's great, right? But he has taken on a new life in, in your life because of one meme in particular. Oh my god. Courtesy of MLB the show, Twitch streamer, Little Man 17, AJ Rodriguez, oh, who gave god. us the clip of a lifetime. The greatest and clip of the greatest of clip time. of all time. And if you haven't seen it, you have seen it. You've <laughs> so seen it. you you've seen it. So we've seen it. Now I just wanted to take this opportunity. To first of all, we're bringing this up because AJ got to meet Cedric Mullins last week, which was freaking awesome. Was that not the best moment ever? Coo coolest thing ever. Like, oh my gosh. Especially it was, because, it was like, tough. sometimes these moments, viral clip, players, someone's favorite player, blah, 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 it's so forced and it's so not like it just doesn't, 
really makes sense. This is so perfect because of how natural and, and kind of spontaneous the original clip was. This isn't mm-hmm. even, AJ's not even an, an Orioles fan, right? He's an Angels no. fan. He's, he's, he's an Angels fan who was getting who is getting haunted by Cedric Mullins on MLB The Show. Exactly. (laughs) And so he gave us this clip, Cedric Mullins, you can't escape him. And we have been, when we first saw this clip two years ago, we were like, I am going to use this in every possible situation ever. And over the last year, we have now seen it kind of proliferate across our timelines to a much more mainstream thing. And I, I couldn't be happier. So I just wanted to give you the opportunity to take a victory lap Talk about that clip and just talk about said. So my friend or, or a, a, a friend that you know very well, uh, D3 legend, Jack Posick, uh, the, the greatest, the greatest second baseman for exactly eight games. Uh, oh, my goodness. Uh, so he sent he said he originally sent me the clip of little man um, AJ. He originally sent me the Cedric Mullins clip because I believe that was 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, oh, my God, this is perfect. This is amazing. I'm going to save this video and event. And I think it was I think it was halfway through the 2021 season when Cedric hit like 19, maybe 17 home runs. Um, for some reason, I started putting the clip on the MLB home run tracker tweet where it says, you know, Cedric Mullins dash 17 home runs, blah, blah, blah. I would quote tweet it and put that video. I did it once. And then he hit another home run. I did it again. And then by the time he'd hit 30 in 2021, I had done it for every, every Cedric home run tweet. This was, was accompanied with the AJ video. This was your congrats on the Homer dude. This was your, yes. your, this, this was, was your, this was my exactly. con- congrats on the Homer dude. The, this, this was my, mm-hmm. it's Cedric Mullins again. You can't escape him. That was my, that was my Jake. Is that Jake or you? That's Jake. <laughs> that's Jake. I'll Jake. Yeah, that's definitely, that's definitely a Jake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so for most, for, for like half of 2021 and then all of 2022, pretty much for his 16 homers, the tweet, the home run tweet would come and I would post a video. To the point where people were like, Cedric hit a home run. They would tweet at me, post the vid. Yeah, again, same thing. When he reached with Homer, we get tweets like, hey, why haven't you congratulated him? It's been 45 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> it was like, I'm sorry. I'm, I wasn't watching today. I was I was, I was, was on a run. I apologize. Um, and so and I think the watershed moment for me came when the Orioles tweeted it themselves. Ugh. Mm. That was just a glorious moment. I forget if it was last year and I forget which day that it was on. Um, but the Orioles tweeted the video and it just felt like my watch had ended. And yeah. I was like, you've, you've, I, you've I, carried it. You passed it on to to bigger and more responsible hands. It's funny, too. I actually feel like from my memory, they used it as a caption before they used the video, I think. Yes. And that was a great like kind of a hat tip to it. And then now they're like playing it on the big screen. <laughs> <laughs> It, it it's amazing it, it is amazing it's, it's it's great it's a great video and you can't and you can't stop it you yeah. can't escape them no you can't escape them you can't escape them all right we're going to take a quick break and when we return we're going to hit a couple other non-mlb topics we think you'll enjoy and then we will say goodbye 
Hey, everybody, I'm James Hinchcliffe. And I'm Alexander Rossi, and we're the hosts of Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. The biggest race on the IndyCar calendar, the Indianapolis 500, is finally here. And we are bringing you all the content you could ever want to prepare you for the most exciting day in motor racing. Seriously, who would be better to get you ready for the race than a guy who won it as a rookie, me, and another guy who raced against Ray Haroon in the very first Indy 500 in 1911? Okay, okay, I'm not quite that old. Anyway, listen to Off Track now on Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome back to Baseball Barbacast. We are still joined by Matthew Ritchie. No, you cannot escape him either. Mr. Ritchie, again, it's been it's so fun to, to have you uh, on with me today. I wanted to take some people back and to maybe help you rem- remind me how we first got connected because that is relevant to the next topic of this of today's show, which is Johns Hopkins Baseball. So for those of you who don't know, Jake and I are very involved in the world of Division Three Baseball. Jake is someone who played Division Three Baseball, me as someone who went to a school that was very good at Division Three Baseball and got me very involved in following it. And you, Matthew Ritchie, you were a member of the 2018 to 2021 Johns Hopkins Blue Jays. He likes these Blue Jays, just to be clear. Different Blue Jays, <laughs> we, we like these ones, okay? And at some point along the way there, we got connected because of our uh, work, quote unquote, in the D3 space and your work, quote unquote, in the D3 space. Um, <laughs> I, I believe we probably connected. Well, what year do you think we, we was it 2019? Uh, I can I can tell you I can tell you exactly when we connected. Please, uh, please. Because it is a it is a hilarious story that I like to tell every time. Um, it was in 2019. Yep. You guys had done the regional review or yep. regional preview yep. for the 2019 NCAA tournament. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, And we were hosting. Mm -hmm. And so you, you, what you guys do, you go through the lineup, you guys talk about like the, the, you you guys talk about the, the impact players, like the guys, the guys who might contribute. Right. Um, And so you got to my spot in the lineup uh, because you guys pay attention to the sport. You guys, you guys, DMV, you guys know, you guys had been to a couple Hopkins games. Yeah. Uh, you commented on my particularly low average at the time, uh, which was 232 uh, at the start of <laughs> it, was, it was 232 at the start of the regionals. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had a great regionals. You did. But you were hitting 232. That, that wasn't I was, I, I was I was hitting 232. Which which um, which let me just say, and I'm saying this because. I love you, and because we're going to make a lot of jokes over the next ten minutes. Mm-hmm. In D three, two thirty two might as well be one thirty two. There is no reason <laughs> I should have been hitting two thirty two. I it it is the most inexplicable thing I have ever experienced in my entire life. I first of all, there's no reason I should have been hitting two thirty two, and there's really no reason I should have still been in the lineup while <laughs> hitting two thirty two. <laughs> but you it, were you it were is, which it, again it is, it is well, baffling but tell tell people there, there was a reason why you were in the lineup though well there well there were two reasons it's yeah. two reasons because um i could field yes um i could pick it um a little bit second uh, at that point you were playing third or I was, second i was at third you were third is, right yeah, yeah don't yeah, look okay. at don't look up the fielding percentage from from third base though <laughs> that's fine <laughs> because it'll contradict every every statement i just made um, I can pick it, but I couldn't throw it. So that's why <laughs> you, so that's you why, can start to play. The, you couldn't complete it. That's why, that's why that's the fine. fielding percentage starts with an eight in 2019. Yeah. But, but, um, but, but, but there was another reason you were in the lineup. 
it's because I got on base. Mm, uh, and I base, got folks. I got I got on base at a violently high clip for somebody for somebody who who is hitting 232. And so so you guys noted that, but you were like Matt Ritchie, Matt Ritchie has a 232 average, which which I thought was a rude thing to say on a podcast. You didn't have you didn't, you didn't, you didn't have to say it out loud. Like we, like we could all go to the stat. We could all go to the stat page and see that I was hitting like shit, but we didn't have to say it. No, but I had, but I had a good, a good, um, a good regionals. And then I tweeted the video of my home run at you guys with the then viral CJ McCollum tweets. I'm trying Jennifer. Um, I forgot about that. It, yes, it, I, it, he was trying. He was. You were trying so hard. I was. Yeah. I was trying so hard. Um, yeah. And so yeah. And so ever since then, we've been we've been friends. We've been buds. Uh, oh, we've been because buds. you took it in stride. You didn't get salty. You oh, said yeah. these guys are covering D three baseball for fun, so I will have fun as well. You finished that year, 2019, with 40 walks and 11 hit by pitches. That's a lot of free <laughs> passes, folks. Uh, a lot of bruises as well. Uh, I think I, I think I had like 26 hits too. Something yeah, stupid th- like well, that. Well, 37 it's- by the end of, of oh, okay. the season. But yeah, you were not again not a lot of hits. Not a lot of hits. It was um. But anyway, so that's that's the origin story of our friendship. Okay. But mm-hmm. the real reason why I wanted to bring this up today is because so Johns Hopkins. 2019, you guys go to the D2 World Series. 2021, your senior year, also go to the D2 World Series. Cedar Rapids, Iowa, where the World Series takes place. One of uh, Matt Ritchie's favorite places in the world. He, he loves that I place hate, so much. I so we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna spare you that topic. But the reason I wanted to bring it up is because that year, 2019, you guys were besides you who were hitting 232, <laughs> you were contributing to it, getting on base and offensive juggernaut okay mm-hmm. you guys that year hit 83 home runs in 50 games which was top i believe 10 or 15 all time in division three okay mm-hmm. so that year i remember it was like holy shit like this team is raking right this team's scoring a ton of runs they get to the world series whatever great okay this year the johns hopkins blue jays coming off a season in which they had a disappointing year last year i'll spare you those details the johns hopkins blue jays this year who just won the regional that they hosted have hit 103 home runs in 46 <laughs> games. Okay. Now you are laughing. Obviously you played at Hopkins. You watched the team hit a billion homers and you understand that this year they are about to break the record uh, held by my school. Ironically, college of Worcester in 1997, who had 104 in 1997, as I mentioned, but they're going to set the record. They're hosting a super regional this weekend, but the thing that you need to know is that Hopkins does undeniably play on one of the smaller fields on the East Coast. And the reason why I wanted to talk about this on the podcast is because Hopkins Field in the niche D3 world has become the course field of, from a discourse standpoint, of D3 baseball, where Hopkins tweets, oh my God, we won our millionth game in a row. We're 42 and four. We're the number one team in the country. And salty people across the great land of D3 baseball will respond, yeah, but your park is a little league field, whatever, right? Like that is what has happened. And so what I wanted to ask you, Matt, is how do do you take that both as an alum, as someone who played there at the time? What is, what was, how did the people on the team respond to that? And then I want to talk about the field a little bit. First of all, tell us about the field. How small is it? Oh, it's 
I don't think people really understand how small it really is because so when they were building the new field, they built it on University Parkway Boulevard, blah, blah, blah. But it it's cut off by the street. And so what it is, it is basically a square. It is a square. <laughs> in- look it up on Google Maps. Look up the Johns Hopkins campus and field. Uh, it is called Bab Field. And you you will immediately look at it and you'll be like, oh, yep. Okay, I get it. Like it is it is a square. So it is 307 to left, which is which is okay. Like everyone it's short, short, but it's you see you'll see that at other parks. There, there's a three, there's a three that leads the number, which which is which is the which is the important which is the important fact. Um, and like I said, it's a square, so it it doesn't really get deep. No, it doesn't quickly. go. It doesn't it, go it, that deep out to center. No. So it's three ninety six uh, to center, which is you know, it's short, but I think uh, I think I think um, I think the Rogers Center is like minus four. Is like yeah, no, three ninety six to center is not unusual. No, three ninety six to center is not unusual. And so once you once you start to get on the right side of the field, um, it it it's also shallow, but in a different way. Uh, right field down the line is two ninety six. Um, and it sure and feels I, like I, it. And oh, and it, and it really does feel like it. I don't. It's it's very hard to encapsulate how and, short that field, that right field is. And I know that they have a a net that technically makes it so that it's taller than the short fence that's there, right? The net, the net is the wall. The net is like ten to fifteen feet. It's it's a legit it's a legit net, but it doesn't help. No, that's the thing. It's not a green monster situation. It's no. you would need to build it double or triple that height to really make up for how short it is. And so what you have this situation is though, there are other parks in all of college baseball where teams hit a lot of homers and they're not that good. But the issue is that now Hopkins is also good at everything else, notably pitching this year and clearly mm-hmm. are one of the best teams in the country, if not the best team in the country, but because they're in this field. And if you've been there, what stands out to me having been there is that like, the whole field feels tiny. The mound looks like it's 46 feet away. Like yes. it's the whole thing just looks miniature and it's beautiful and it's really cool. And it's an awesome place to see a game because where you sit is like on top of the field. And it's right. very unique in that sense. But it does give you this weird sense of like, this is just ridiculous. This just feels <laughs> like a goofy thing for someone that is one of the strongest programs in D3 baseball and and obviously is this year. So, I yeah, I mean, did you guys take it in stride? Did some people, were you guys making jokes about it all the time? Like, how did you oh, absolutely, kind of, absolutely. Yeah. Because, because, first of all, um, they all count. Every, every, every ball over the fence count. For both they teams. Don't, for both teams. And, and that's the biggest thing. Teens would complain about home runs going out when anybody could do it. Literally, literally, you could put a team manager on the field and they could probably hit a home run out at that field. So it wasn't necessarily that like we had an unfair advantage when we played teams there. Because it's not like you had to like know the lay of the land in order in order to succeed at bad field. You just sort of kind of had to hit the ball in the air. And hit it with like an exit veal of maybe 87 miles per hour and and you'll have a home run. And so yeah, we took we take it in stride because you know, like, I mean, they don't ask how, they ask how many. And so when you get a home run, you're like, oh, this is sick. 
because <laughs> because I know it wouldn't have gone out anywhere, but it went out here. So that's all that meant. Like my first career home run was an opposite field home run from the left side that barely just got over the fence. That probably should have been robbed. And the, thing, the fences are also short. Oh, the fences are tiny. Like, like if you're if you're five ten, that's what makes mid- it feel like a little league field. If yeah, it's, that, that it's the height of the fences, not just the distance. It it's it's a toy park, mm-hmm. but it's a it's our toy park, and so oh. we'll take mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Making me emotional. This really sums it up. Harrison Swartz, one of our good friends who broadcast uh, many Hopkins games over the past few years, love Harrison. One of the best in the business. We were texting a little bit because people were pissed. Hopkins sweeps the regional this weekend, blah, blah, blah. Everyone's so mad. And I think Harrison summed it up great in this text to me. He said, when teams arrive, they salivate at the opportunity. When they leave, it's always learn to play on a real field. (laughs) (laughs) It's Uh, true because, like, you'll watch BP and say, like, the three-hitter of, like, a decent mm -hmm. program will just be – Brush, like literally like, homer like, oh, every swing right like oh like oh this guy's gonna have like an amazing weekend simply because you know he hit seven balls out there in bp and then you you play the game and you're like oh like we kind of got out pitched but they they hit seven pop-ups that also went 330 feet and so now we're angry and so i understand the gripes but to that i also say be better be better <laughs> be exactly. better like it's so be, true and and so you know, watching them play is is kind of nuts because we weren't even better, you know, like like the, like I, it's an absurd thing to watch them hit this many home runs. Yeah, but and they and yeah. and to be fair, you know, they they've hit sixty one in twenty five home games, which is obviously a ton. But they've also had forty two in twenty one road games, road games away right. from Batfield, right? So like this team's clearly bopping, and it's it's just a perfect storm of of what is going to be a record setting home run season. Uh, we will see who they host in the Super Regional this weekend. It's also funny because the numbers are so ridiculous this year that the entire team has a 438 on base percentage through 46 games, which you laud as your own on base percentage. I'm like, oh man, I'm like, well, it's my career on base percentage, so it yeah. so it's cooler because I because it counts when I was terrible too. <laughs> Uh, when I was anyway. a bad baseball player, my OBP was still 400 plus. So it's, right. so it's no, different. It's, it's, it's I had to work harder to be to, to not not be as terrible. Well said. Well said. Uh, we will. Uh, I'll I'll spare the Bob Bab conversation, but I would encourage everyone to go look up who the head coach of Johns Hopkins baseball is because hey, he's this is his 44th season of baseball. So just a nice little roster bio or coach's bio, you will be entertained. But we'll we'll save the fab conversation oh, for another yeah. time. I <laughs> want to finish with some non-baseball topics, Mr. Richie, because as you mentioned, I'm not going to have a baseball writing friend who also gets published in the Rolling Stone not talk about that. And I wanted to bring this up as we close here just because you like this is a space that I am so not an expert in, not an expert. I mean, the novice in like Jake always makes fun of me and he's like, Jordan doesn't like music. I mean, that's not true. I, I like that's <laughs> I'm a human being. Like, I don't know what that means, but what he is sort of right about, I think he was getting is that like, I don't seek out new music. I don't, I don't, I'm not good at discovering new music 
in ways, in certain ways. And you just wrote uh, a great piece about a, a, a clearly a, a rapper that I should have known about, it sounds like a couple years ago, <laughs> but it's the first <laughs> time I'd ever seen the name, and that is Tony Snow. So tell us a little bit about that piece, and then I want to hear, how do you, as someone who, like, as somewhat for a living, as you mentioned, you know, the freest of freelancers, how do you discover new music? Like, what is your process? Because I am just sure you can throw on a Spotify playlist that it makes for you and you can say, oh, artists like this, whatever. But like, I just kind of stick with what I know and I enjoy that. And I know that then when I hear good new music, I'm like, oh, I should be looking for this more often. So yeah. tell us a little bit about that piece and then and then uh, kind of what's your music discovery process and then we'll say goodbye. Yeah, so the Tony Snow piece was super cool simply because Tony tried a new thing. He was a... Uh, He's he was a uh, he's a rapper from Atlanta who decided to make an album about love and life, which was not a topic that he decided to dive into uh, before. And he was like, yeah, I he was like, I, I went to a relationship. Um, I wanted to sort of like get in touch with myself, like learn about myself. And I became super self-aware. So the entire album was about love. It was about like. It was it was really centered on you know old nineties old nineties black love films like Poetic Justice, um, to play that game. So it's like it was very much like, and it was still rap, which was which was which was real, which was really cool to hear because he he sort of married the concepts of love, relationships, the failure of relationships, and was like, I'm still gonna sound hard as shit and rap about and rap about the stuff that I like to rap about, and so. That was super interesting. And it was it was such a great combo. I love I love doing interviews simply because I love doing in-person interviews. Uh, this was this is one of one of the first couple ones I've done. Um, and we went to like this, uh, the Photographiska Museum in, in NYC and just walked and talked, looked at pictures and just just shot just shot the shit very much. And and that's sort of the thing about about um, about music interviews is because Yes, they are definitely about the albums that you're writing around or, you know, you're but you're also profiling the artist. And by profiling the artist, it's not just like, let me ask you these questions and let me excavate all this, all this like material from you and like extract everything. But like, no, you're like you're having a conversation with someone and like you're you're you've like built like a sort of like rapport and relationship with them in that like exact moment. Because you know, like that's all that's all journalism is when you get down to it. Um, and also, like, like I was just gonna say, like what's cool reading this piece, having never heard his music ever. Because sometimes you, if you are reading about an album or reading about, like it's you're probably clicking on it because you've listened to it a hundred times and you're curious what a professional thinks of it or whatever, right? right. But. This was a rare opportunity where I read it having never heard any of his songs and then listening to it and being like, oh, yeah, <laughs> that is yeah. exactly what happened. And then now this is then you go listen to the older stuff, too. But I am interested, too, like when you are not even necessarily just looking for someone who you're going to profile, but like what yeah, what do you are you just I don't know what app you're using or whatever. But I mean, how are you finding new music or is it just one of the situations what that when you are already at such a level of knowledge? you kind of know where to look and, and stuff is kind of showing up much more easier than for me, where I really would have to go out of my way to find this stuff. I mean, stuff is definitely showing up a lot, a lot easier simply because I'm just like, I like compared to a lot of other music writers, I'm not listening to 
the wide breadth of music that a lot of other, like a lot of other more talented writers and music listeners are doing. But I understand what I like, uh, and I understand what I think is good and why I think it's good. And so, what it sort of is is I kind of look for things that remind me of that or that are in a similar vein, and that's then you can sort of branch out out of that because. Yeah, like as corny as it is, as it is, like related artists, like not not like the actual tab, but like people who sound like other people, like you're going, you're going to like them because it sounds familiar. It sounds like it sounds like something you recognize. And so that's a big thing that I've always found with music discovery. Like if someone's sort of sounds like someone else or has like a similar vibe, there's like there's like a there's like a group of like four or five artists, and now you've decided that like, oh, like they have a similar vibe, they have similar like feelings when I listen to them. So now like this is a, a group that I listen to. Mm-hmm. Another big thing that I love to do is samples, mm-hmm. um, which is a which is another great thing. If you like if you're ever looking to learn about music in general, just listen to listen to hip hop, listen to rap music, listen to R&B um, and like just like go back and like think of the samples, because then that transports you to a whole different era. And then you can build from there and it's sort of like reverse engineering trying to figure out like oh like this is why this sounded like this oh but you know they sampled the isley brothers one song but the isley brothers also were sampled by another song and so you go back and now you have different artists that sampled them and like oh like wow i kind of like their music and so it's a whole it's a whole feedback loop of of music discovery by going into the past to sort of figure out figure out the uh the present and also, yeah, samples is clearly a big part of of this Tony Schnow piece. He's now your your musical Christopher Morell. I don't know what the equivalent is of <laughs> the musical equivalent <laughs> of hitting eight homers in eleven games is, but I guess we'll find out if uh, Tony Schnow continues to ascend in the musical world. And Richie's like, "That's my guy. That's it. <laughs> so no, but uh, but no, is is it's a very cool piece, and and I know you've had a lot of. A lot of music writing that, uh, yeah, I guess this is a good time to, to end the pod here. You let you plug wherever else, if you had any other specific um, music pieces or, or baseball pieces that you wanted to plug, where, where can people find your work before we say goodbye? Uh, I mean, I wish I had a website, mm, but I go. don't. Giving you an um, idea. But I, no, I don't. Uh, <laughs> More work to do. <laughs> ugh, imagine. Uh, but no, uh, I guess they can follow me on Twitter um, or Instagram, but I prefer Twitter. Uh, at MKRWRT. That's where I tweet random thoughts, articles. Um, any 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 work that I've ever done is somewhere is somewhere on the Twitter page. But uh, but yeah, I mean, if they follow me on there, I guess they can see see You'll my see opinions, it. my opinions, my thoughts, which which like nobody really wants when you get down to it. But there are worse thoughts on Twitter. This is the other thing. There, oh yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I would, I would humbly endorse uh, following uh, my dear friend Matt here. But this was great. Thank you so much for for. I hope the, the call up. We're you're like Drew Maggi though. We're sending you right back down. What? Uh, hope, Come on. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I hope. But it was cool. It was really cool. Got a lot of again, a lot of emotional moments. I mean, really, really. I cried, ex- I cried a little bit there. You cried world. a little bit, um, and and listen, you know what? As they said, but your magic, they can never take it away from you. You're you're a Barbacast host forever. You know, ever. 
forever. Since that'll that'll be um. Do we do we get do we get patches that I can put on exactly. like a jacket or something? Your podcast cool. debut. Yeah, yeah. And now awesome. you have a you have a, a podcast reference page as well. You will be on there forever. So wow, uh, very, very exciting stuff. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, uh, Matthew Ritchie. Again, you can definitely follow him on Twitter. Uh, and yeah, I encourage you to go, go check out his, his stats on the Johns Hopkins uh, roster uh, for sure. You can see the, all, all his fielding percentage and all its glory uh, on there. Okay. But <laughs> thank you. Thank you to Matt for, for joining. Thank you to Chris Tyler for producing as always. Uh, Jake will be back on Wednesday. Don't you worry for a very special episode. And until then, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Have a good week. Serious XM Podcasts.